Welcome to the Brave Church Podcast. We are honored you've chosen to listen and pray you're blessed by this talk. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit bravechurch.org. It's so good to be here with all of you. And yeah, like Darren said, I pastor a church up in Portland, Oregon, uh, where the hipsters come from. And yeah, it's an honor and a joy to be down here to hang out with you guys. So I hear that you are in this series uh, going through the Beatitudes and amazing, amazing passage. And one of those verses says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And you heard a great talk on that about a month ago. What I want to do today is I want to circle back to that word meek. Um, also, it's the word gentle in scripture. And I want to unpack that even more. So we're going to go not to Matthew, but we're going to go to the book of Galatians chapter five. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn there with me. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Galatians 5, 22. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So we're going to zero in on this word gentleness. It is found dozens and dozens of times all throughout scripture, but I have not heard many talks on just the word gentle. What what does that mean? Uh, Just the name itself isn't all that appealing, but when you begin to unpack it, you realize, wow, there is so much here. So why don't we pray and we'll get started. God, thank you for this amazing church. Thank you for the way you're working. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would just speak to our hearts and uh, that your word would come alive in in a beautiful way and that we would hear from you, and I I thank you for Darren, for what you're doing through this community, for all the leaders here, and I pray just, yeah, encourage, fill, use them, provide, um, meet the needs of this church, continue to flourish it, and grow it, and use it for your kingdom, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. I'm going to give you a bunch of content. If you're a note taker, you may want to grab a pen, a piece of paper. Uh, If you're not a note taker, grab a pen and a piece of paper anyway. And I'm going to share some things with you about this word gentleness. Um, Paul says the fruit of the spirit is gentleness. In the Greek, it's the word proutes. And proutes means humble, courteous, valiant, honorable, or free from harshness. Um, Aristotle, he was a Greek philosopher, he said proutes is the middle between two extremes. So if someone hurts you or offends you, um, proutes is not going and freaking out or yelling at them or raging, or neither is it just keeping it internalized. Proutes is when you speak the right thing at the right time in the right way. Um, In the ancient world, proutes was also used to describe a horse, Uh, that had been brought under control or tamed. Um, One way to translate it is uh, strength under control. So let's say you have a wild stallion and hardly anyone can control him. But once he's tamed, he is now proutes, the Greek said. The same strength that he had before, but now it's under the control of the master. Um, We could put it this way. Gentleness is the ability to control your reactions to People. And let's just face it, every day we're tested in this, aren't we? Um, just the other day in Portland, um, traffic's getting real crazy up there. And I was uh, driving I 5 going downtown, and this car pulls in front of me, cuts me off, and 
then just suddenly starts tapping on the brakes. And this is going down a freeway. And I guess he was upset or something because I was trying to get out of the way and I didn't have time to because there was another car there. Finally, he swerves around, starts tapping on the brakes. I'm like, what is wrong with this guy? And then he just reaches down his window and flips me off. I'm thinking, what? What did I do, right? And so Prautes, is, this is the time where it's uh, tested. And so I did what any good pastor does. I pulled up next to him, and I flipped him off too. Um, no, I'm kidding. I, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But I, I wanted to, right? So every day we're tested in this area. And Paul says, if you're living in the Spirit, if you're walking in the Spirit, then this is going to be something that we have to put into action. So This is important. It is strength under control. Gentleness is not the same as weakness. And I know our culture doesn't always look at it that way. Um, Look at the things we value in our culture. Power, violence, control, winning, the warriors dominating Oklahoma this afternoon, right? So these are the things we value. Uh, But gentleness? I mean, look at what's happening politically right now. And evidently, we don't look for this as a virtue. Instead, you know, how angry are they? Or how much can they tear people apart on social media? That seems to score points. But gentleness isn't really that much at the top of the list. Or you look at our movies. Um, we, our heroes are always generally the most violent. So uh, we have names like Iron Man or Superman. I mean, just imagine if they came out with the movie Humble Man or Batman versus Courteous Man. Like, it's just... You're not really going to be that drawn to it. And here's why. Our culture assumes, our culture assumes that gentle people are weak. But here's what we need to know. In scripture, gentleness is actually the ultimate strength. A gentle man is a gentleman. (laughs) A gentle woman is a powerful woman. Why? Because Prautes, like the horse, They harness and focus their strength to do good and to help others. Um, Paul, he unpacks this further. If you want to look down in your Bibles in Galatians 6 verse 1, he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. The word restore, it speaks of a physician that is mending a broken bone. Uh, If you're a doctor, if you know doctors, you know that the best doctor, the best physician, it's strength under control. They're, they're able to do what they do with precision. It's articulate. It, it, they use precise tools in order to bring about healing. But if you were in the doctor's office and the physician walked into the room carrying a sledgehammer, you'd be a little concerned. You'd be worried, right? Because the most skillful people, most skillful doctors are those who can do it gently. Paul says, when there's someone who's wounded, uh, our task, our job is to restore them Gently, So you're the physician, you're the doctor in their life because they're going down a path, they're making mistakes, they're caught up in an addiction or they're going through the struggle and your task is to bring about healing in a gentle way. We all know people who are in that category. I heard a story a few years ago, a guy driving down I-5 and uh, he's in his later 80s. He gets a call from his wife. And she's really worried, panicked. She says, honey, I just was watching the news. And evidently, there's some idiot driving the opposite direction on I-5. You need to look out for him. And he said, honey, his response was classic. Honey, there's not just one guy. There's hundreds of guys who are going the wrong way. So we all know those people, right, who 
You look at their life right now, and it's messed up. They're going the wrong way. They're doing the wrong thing. What Paul says, okay, our task is not coming with the sledgehammer and blow them out of the water. Our task is like the skilled surgeon, like the powerful horse. We come in prautes, restoring them gently. So the ultimate example of gentleness, of prautes, is Jesus. Um, In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened down, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the only autobiographical statement that Jesus ever made about himself. And notice what he says. He defines himself as gentle, proutes. I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. And this is an interesting side note. In the Syriac, uh, which is one of the older translations of the New Testament, it actually translates the word gentle here as restful. (laughs) In other words, they believed that, that Jesus, there was something about him that was restful. So you spend time with him, and there's a sense of shalom. There's a sense of peace. I mean, we all know people like that, where maybe you've had a really rough day, and you hang out with them, and within five minutes, you just feel calm, and the walls come down, and you start to laugh. Their presence is like a glass of wine. But then other people in your life, you hang out with them. It's the opposite effect. Like they make you more tense and more on edge, and you want a glass of wine for a different reason. Right, But Jesus, when you were with him, he cultivated a sense of shalom and peace. It's the gentleness. He was the stallion. Tremendous strength under control, doing the will of the Father. Uh, The Old Testament prophesied that Jesus would be this way. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, beautiful, beautiful prophecy of Jesus. It says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. And he gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. And he gently, he gently leads those that have young. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And in the ancient world, if a lamb was injured, what they would do is they would pick up the lamb. The shepherd would pick up the lamb. And they would hold that lamb until the lamb was fully restored. Whether it was an hour or a day or a week or a month. Their task was to make sure the healing would happen in that lamb. And Jesus loved people that way. He said, I would leave the 99 to go after the one lost lamb. If someone was wounded, whether it's leprosy or adultery or fatigue or overwhelmed or struggling financially, Jesus would carry them close to his heart. He was loving, restful, and gentle. But know this, again, we talk about the meekness, the gentleness of Jesus. It doesn't mean that he was weak. Meekness is not weakness. He was incredibly powerful and strong. So there was compassion mixed with determination. There was passion mixed with a presence of peace. The two were woven together in him. So that's why in John chapter 2, when Jesus walked into a temple and he saw the money changers, he made a whip of cords. And he drove out the money changers, flipping over the table. So this is ultimate fighter Jesus. <laughs> you don't want to get, you don't want to cross his path. But... What does he do in John 2? Fire in his eye, turning over tables. But then he stopped and opened the cages for the doves to be set free. So in the middle of all this passion is this kind of poetry. Jesus releasing doves. So there is 
the wildness in him, the, the, the anger, appropriate anger at certain points, mixed with a compassion and a heart and a tenderness. Or I think of Revelation 5. It's an interesting story. Um, John has a vision of heaven, and the vision was so intense, it actually brought him to tears. Uh, have you ever had an experience in life that was so intense that it brought you to tears, maybe the birth of a child, or finding out some piece of good news, or eating a double-double from In-N-Out, coming from Portland where they don't have In-N-Out, it is an emotional experience, let me tell you, so he has one of these experiences, he's weeping, he's so overwhelmed, and it says one of the elders came to him and said, don't weep, don't weep, because the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed, and who is the lion of the tribe of Judah? It's Jesus And so he wipes away the tears and he looks and he expects to see a lion there, but he sees instead a lamb, a lamb having just been slain because brothers and sisters, Jesus is both lion and lamb. (laughs) He is both strong and powerful, the stallion, but there's compassion and he's a shepherd and he's tender and he's loving. You see, Jesus combined strength and mercy, power and gentleness together in a way that the world has never seen before. Uh, It was Ralph Sockman who said, nothing is as strong as gentleness and nothing is as gentle as real strength. Oh, that's powerful. No wonder Jesus said the meek, the gentle, would inherit the earth. So we've seen what gentleness is, found dozens of times throughout the Bible. We've seen that Jesus is the embodiment of this virtue. But but here's the question that I want to unpack with you. How can we live this out in our life? How can we take this from some theological idea uh, to something that really begins to engage with our nine to five? Not just a Sunday morning sermon, but something we do on Monday. So that's what I want to do now. Um, over the next four hours, I just want to unpack this together with you. So uh, would you turn with me to Colossians chapter three? Colossians three. And uh, here Paul is going to give us a very practical way to live out gentleness. Colossians 3, verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Skip down to verse 8. Rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Therefore, verse 12, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility. Here it is, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I love this passage. Paul says, therefore, as God's holy people. The word holy uh, literally is the word saint. And I know we don't often think of ourselves in that light. But the Bible says that's true of you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're holy, you're a saint. 
So St. Darren or St. Samuel or St. If your name's Bernard, St. Bernard, right? Um, you're holy. This is how God sees you. You're, you're justified. You're forgiven. Therefore, he says, clothe yourself in gentleness. Clothe yourself in gentleness. Interesting analogy. Um, so in the morning, when you get ready for the day, you'll spend a few minutes or in some cases a few hours trying to decide what you're going to wear for the day. And what you wear is a reflection of what you're stepping into that day, business meeting, church, beach. And what you wear can also be a reflection, I think, of your identity to a certain point. So uh, Shakespeare said, clothes maketh the man. Uh, so there's something to that. Um, what you wear can influence you. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook founder, billionaire, 32 years old. Just a, f- a few weeks ago, he posted on social media a picture of his cupboard, his wardrobe. Here it is. He said, first day back... After paternity leave, what should I wear? What? So this is actually Mark Zuckerberg's closet. He has two kinds of clothes, two different colors. What should I wear? And of course, people are like, you're a billionaire. You can wear whatever you want, and you have two different shirts. That's it? It's really confusing. So someone asked him about this, and and his response was classic. He said, well... I don't have time to deal with what, deciding what to wear, so I just make it real simple. I want to have time in my life for more important things. So instead of 50 shades of gray, Mark Zuckerberg has two, right? That's the extent of his day. And, and there's something to that, though. He's saying, what, what I wear is going to, It's going to allow context. It's going to allow freedom in other things. And this is the kind of language that Paul is saying, that what we wear spiritually, not just physically, but what we wear spiritually, the things we choose to do, the virtues we choose to cultivate, uh, is going to create room for the Spirit of God to work in and through our life. When you choose gentleness, you are set free. So, how? That's the big question. How do we do this? And this is where we get into the practical stuff. I'm going to share four things and we'll be done today. How do I grow in gentleness? How does this become a virtue and a reality in my life? Number one, cultivate healthy patterns of thought. This is is huge. This could be a whole other sermon. But notice verse two. Paul says, set your mind on things above. In other words, if we want to grow in proutes, strength under control, gentleness towards our wives, towards our kids, towards uh, the, the roommate. If we want to grow in this, it begins right here. What we think about, what we dwell on. Why is that important? Because one of the reasons we can struggle with proutes is because we're not gentle with ourself. Um, I'm this way, self-critical, beat myself up, perfectionist. And because so many of us are that way, because we don't show gentleness internally, we start to take out our anger on those who are around us. What Paul is saying is that gentleness begins when we receive the gentleness of God. Set our mind on things above. Focus on what God says is true about you. And what is true about you? He says, you're holy, (laughs) you're beloved, 
You're his children. You're set free. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. No matter what your past may be like, no matter what last week may have been like, God loves you and redeems you and clothes you and covers you. That's what God says is true about you. And so if I want to receive gentleness, if I want to grow in gentleness, first I have to put my mind on that truth that you are a gentle savior, that he loves us, that he embraces us, and now I can show that gentleness to others. So practical. God bless you. Um, Number two, number two, he takes it further. He says that we're to rid ourselves of anger, rage, slander, and filthy language. Um, We have to be intentional in how we speak. Gentleness has so much to do, not only with how we think, but how we communicate with others. Words have incredible, incredible power. They have destructive capacities. You can tear someone down. You can rip someone apart. You can be critical of them. You can bring them to tears with your words, or you can build them up. You can bring life and hope and grace. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Proverbs 15.1. We all have experienced this. So you're in a fight with someone, and maybe your spouse says something hurtful. So what do we do in our flesh? We say something hurtful back. And then they say something hurtful in return. And then we say something hurtful. And it just begins to escalate. And pretty soon, it just grows bigger and bigger and bigger. Proverbs gives us a uber simple way to live out the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness. Just speak kind words. So let's say you're in that argument Instead of escalating the argument through more anger, more hurt, hurtful words, try saying something gentle. Isn't it amazing how gentle words have a calming effect? It diffuses the tension. I mean, just try it out next time you're in an argument with your spouse. Just the words, I'm sorry, or will you forgive me, or honey, I love you. Or, okay, I'll do the dishes after all. Or whatever it is you're arguing about. Words have power. Anger is a thermometer. It reflects the tension in the room. Gentleness is a thermostat. It controls the tension in the room. And only a truly strong person, a true true stallion, can have that gentleness and self-control to bring out that restfulness and that grace in a situation. Anyone can get angry. Anyone can fly off the handle. Anyone can say hurtful words. But it takes a true man of God, a true woman of God, to bring gentleness where there's hurts or wounds. Number three, find practical ways to serve one another. Notice verse 13, right before he says, put on gentleness, put it, put it on like you would a shirt. He says, bear with each other. <laughs> and that word bear, it, it literally means you're helping to carry someone else's burdens. Gentleness isn't blind to the hurts and wounds and struggles of others, but it finds creative, out-of-the-box, interesting ways to help. Uh, so there was a game, uh, the New York Knicks, they were, they were playing a few weeks ago uh, against the Pelicans. And New York Knicks, uh, they didn't have the best year. And it wasn't the best game. And they're about to lose the game. And there was, at this game, 
there was a little boy there who I think is like six or seven years old. And his favorite player on the New York Knicks, uh, Carmelo Anthony, was playing. And this little boy, I guess he felt so bad by just the way the game was ending and how they were losing that he decided to do something about it. And so I'm going to show you this tiny clip of what this little boy did to help bear a burden. Porzingis and Calderon, so, you know, he's going to in the corner. As much as Melo is an amazing talent and elite scorer. And unfortunately, there's a little boy on the floor right now. Isn't that awesome? So, so right in the middle of the game, this little boy's like, I've, I've got to do something. They're, my team's losing. My player's not doing well. I'll go give him a hug. So without any reservation, just rushes out and hugs the guy. Now, if, if one of you after the service comes up to me and gives me a hug, then I'll know it was a really bad message. Um, <laughs> but you see, that, that, that's what Paul is saying. When he says bear one another's burdens, it means you're sensitive to, okay, that person's hurting right now. That person, they're having a bad game or a bad life or a bad week. I want to do something about that. I'm just going to let him struggle and suffer. So what does that mean? It might be as simple as just giving him a hug. It might be as simple as not just saying, like Christians are really good at saying this, hey, I'll pray for you, but we don't. But actually stopping, can I pray for you right now? Uh, It could be being open and generous with your resources and your time with someone who's hurting. It could be just listening to someone, sitting down, having a cup of coffee. What are you going through? How can I help? It could be inviting them into your house, opening up your home, having a meal. You see, gentleness, it finds these creative ways to alleviate the burdens that people are carrying. The gentle person lives in radical amazement at the grace of God. God, you've been so good to me, and you've been gentle to me. Now I want to show that to others. Number four. So how do I grow in gentleness? The mind. Set my mind on things above. Number two, our words. Be intentional in how we speak. Number three, bearing one another's burdens. You're the shepherd. You get to carry those who are wounded. And finally, number four, and this one This one is convicting, (laughs) and it drills down really, really specific to something I think we all can relate to. Let go of resentment and unforgiveness. And again, if you have your Bible open, would you look back down in verse 13? Um, There's a connection here I want us to make. Paul says, be gentle. And then he says, bear with one another and forgive one another. I have never seen this before until this last week. Be gentle and forgive. Be gentle and forgive. Why does he connect gentleness, prautes, with forgiveness? Here's why. Because if gentleness is strength under control, one of the defining characteristics of a truly strong person is the capacity to forgive. Anyone can hold a grudge Anyone can get bitter. Anyone can have a chip on their shoulder. Anyone can be angry. But it takes a true man of God, a strong man of God, a strong woman of God, to let go and forgive. Forgiveness, it's been said, is setting a prisoner free, only to discover the prisoner was yourself. (laughs) But it takes some strength to do that. And to break those chains. But, but here's the beauty. That when you forgive, not only are you setting yourself free. And not only are you setting that person free. 
you're also creating space for God to work in all kinds of creative and beautiful and redemptive ways. Redemptive stories are the product of a strong man or a strong woman who chooses forgiveness. Um, Let me just open up a bit and share how this has been true in my life. And this is something I'm continuing to work at. So I don't know how many of you were raised in a Christian home. I wasn't. And uh, at least for the first half until I was in junior high and my family got radically saved. And that was a whole other story. But growing up, uh, my dad was, was an alcoholic. And uh, there was a lot of just, yeah, brokenness. Um, he was a drug user, uh, pretty hardcore. And so as a kid... I saw a ton of hard things, a ton of hard things. And you throw that into the mix. I found out when I was at the age of 10, I found out my mom sat me down one day and she said, hey, I just want you to know that um, your dad, he's actually not your biological dad. And, um, and he, I, we don't really know where he is. His name was Christopher. And he might, he might live in New Zealand. That's all, that's all that I know. So I'm trying to process that piece of news and then also trying to process all the stuff I had seen. And just to be totally honest, and again, I know many of you can relate to this, uh, especially high school, college age, uh, there was just a lot of unforgiveness, things I struggled with by what I'd seen. And what I felt in, in time is that Jesus slowly, gently uh, began to work in my life on this area of forgiveness. And uh, those of you know that this, if you've walked through similar things, it's not a quick fix. Oh, I forgive you. It's a slow thing, and it's a daily choice. And I just found Jesus gently taking me down this path and teaching me what it means to grow in this area of forgiveness. And when I was 21, I was curious, hey, what? I don't even know who my biological dad is. All I have is his name and that he might be in New Zealand. I'd never heard from him once in my life. He left when I was a year old. And so I called up the New Zealand embassy, and I talked to this lady, and I told her the story, and she said, well, I'm not supposed to do this, but after hearing your story, I'll make an exception. So she goes away, puts me on hold, comes back and says, here's the address. She gives me his address. I write it down put it in my wallet, this piece of paper. I held on to it for about six months. I had no clue what to do with it. Long story short, I ended up flying to New Zealand. I hitchhiked, because I'm i a poor college student. I use all my money on the flight. I hitchhiked from Auckland down to the house. And that was a whole other story that people would pick me up. That was interesting. Um, and late at night, it's about nine o'clock at night. I'm walking, middle of nowhere, and I'm still trying to get to this little town, get to his house, and this big semi-truck comes up behind me. Hey, mate, do you need a ride? I'm like, yes. And, and he says, where to? And I told him, and he said, I'll take you right there. So in his huge semi-truck, comes into this suburban house, <laughs> pulls me right in front of the house, and I get out, and he takes off, and my heart just boom, boom, you know. And I knock on the door, and he answered the door. And it was, it was, it was an amazing, uh, incredible experience. Um, I come in, we start talking, and one of the first questions he asked me was, do you know Jesus? Which, what? Because all I knew about him was he had done all these horrible things and left, and do you? Do you? And he said, yeah. And he told me a story, how he went to New Zealand and how he had become 
a Christian and we start talking and I share a bit about my story. And then he drops this bomb on me. He's like, do you want to meet your sisters? I'm like, what? I didn't even know that I had these sisters in New Zealand. And I said, sure. So he brings out my sisters, uh, uh, Susie, who was 15, and Rebecca, who was 17. And I'm 21 and just completely blown away and got to know them. It was an un unbelievable experience. And uh, my, one of my sisters, actually, Susie, she, a couple weeks ago, flew to Portland, and she's living now with my wife and I for about six months. So it's incredible to see, to see what God has done. But, but I share that with you because, for me, this has been a big part of my, my journey about the letting go part and learning to forgive. And what I've discovered is that when I do that, there, it creates a space for God to do some beautiful, redeeming things in my life. Is there anyone right now in your life that you need to forgive? Is there anyone in your life that you've been angry, but there hasn't been that gentleness? There hasn't been that openness? There hasn't been, okay, I'm going to let this go and let God's spirit move in and do something beautiful. It is so worth it. Um, I think we could close with this verse in Ephesians 4. It says, always be gentle, be patient with each other, and make allowances for each other's fault because of your love. So here's the question. Who is the person in your life right now that God is calling you to show gentleness to? Uh, This wouldn't just be a Sunday message, but we actually go out this week and do it. Who's that person where you need to speak gentle words into their life, diffusing arguments? Who's the person that you need to creatively bear the burden, run onto the court and give them a hug? Who's who's the person that you need to forgive? And it's hard, but the good news is, is that when we do it, we find Jesus because Jesus said, come to me when you're weary, come to me when you're beaten down, Come to me because I am gentle and you will find rest for your soul. Let's all pray. God, um, I thank you so much just um, for the way that you've been so, so gentle with us and so good to us. I pray right now in our hearts, Jesus, that um, you'd show us how we can put this virtue into practice. We just open our hearts, God, to you. and We let go of the anger or the harsh words, the bitterness. We just invite your spirit, God, to make us more like you. Make us gentle people, proud days, strength under control. So fill us with your spirit, God. We can't do it alone. Show us how to even today we can begin to live this out. In Jesus' name, amen.